Welcome back to another episode of SoCal Watch Reviews. In today's episode, we got a very special guest. We got Fred once more from Chaluso. Fred, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Glad to be back. Glad to have you back, my friend. And also, of course, uh, my co-host, P. P, how you feeling? Yo, what's good? What's good? It's your boy, P. Rouse, back in the building, bringing that flavor like a pack of now later. all right? What's good, Fred? I'm good. I'm good. Good to finally meet the famous Pete. You know, I've been hearing uh, the work that you've been doing with uh, with Miguel over the last few podcasts. So it's good to sort of now get a three-way discussion going on. Right I'm on. excited. Right and on. congratulations, Miguel, on episode 10, man. Yeah, it's it's been uh, it's been a ride. It's been a ride. I started this whole thing thinking that I was just maybe going to test out the waters and do it alone. And of course, along the way, I... Uh, as I spoke to different people and connected with different people, I just kind of really had the, the the realization that I needed a, a co-host. That's when I invited P, and I'm super excited that we made it all the way to episode 10. Uh, it, it's definitely, uh, I, I don't know, overwhelming, I guess. Uh, it's an overwhelming feeling of, of success in my in my own personal right. I know that we don't get a ton of uh, listeners yet. But the momentum is is greatly building out, especially as I'm reaching out to uh, different people and they're actually accepting my invitation, such as yourself. This is the second time you are here, so we do appreciate it. You could have easily said that you were busy, but you're taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us. So thanks, man. Anything uh, interesting been happening since our last episode? Uh, Quite a few things. Um, well, I mean, obviously, uh, we've got the news that we have a new uh, world record holder for yes. the most expensive watch sold at auction with the protective mm. grand complication, the only watch. It was the Invicta, right, that uh, sold it. No, oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, Invicta was the close number two. It's a common misconception. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. Sorry, Pete. That's cool. Hey, that's fine, man. The, the shade is real. <laughs> you know i i gotta say that particularly for me that that case is just, i it just doesn't it doesn't speak to me and those integrated lugs or whatever however it looks with the with the lugs and the, and the leather band it just just doesn't do it for me but that salmon dial oh my goodness it's beautiful that's really? about it <laughs> for me for me it's the exact opposite i love the look of the integrated lugs really uh, the case oh. is definitely way too thick but i'm i've never been a fan of salmon dials so for what? me, it's actually the case shape does more for me. <laughs> but well, I guess each their own. But it's a it's still an impressive watch to say the least. It's, it's pretty insane. Oh, it's, sorry. it's it's definitely impressive for thirty one million francs. I'm sorry, thirty one million francs. I think that's like still over like thirty one it, million US. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's definitely impressive. You know, and I understand it's for charity. I get that. You know what I mean? I'm all for that, actually. But as a one-for-one piece, it's definitely a serious flex piece. So whatever you have in your collection right now at this moment, yeah, you can flex. But if you got this piece, you can definitely flex. And I want to ask y'all, is this a piece that y'all would actually wear if y'all had it? Uh, If I had it? Yeah. I probably would, 
but that's purely because I only get watch attention of wearing them. I don't like. I'm not like one of those people who thinks like, all right, I'll get a nice watch, but I'll keep it in, you know, keep it in the drawer, keep it in the watch box, just right. to look at it. If I was to get it, I would wear it. Okay. I'm not having 31 million in my pocket <laughs> and not being 100 percent crazy for it personally. Then obviously right. I wouldn't be getting it. <laughs> I would wear it. I think I would wear it too. I think for me, I wouldn't wear it on the daily or very regularly, but I would wear it at special occasions. Like I would love to show up to like the, uh, like think about it. If you own this piece, right, you could literally show up to be a nobody and show up to the Houdinki office and you would get treated like a rock star. Oh, here comes a guy that bought that watch, you know. Um, now that would only ha- happen in the watch circles. Anywhere else, people would think you're stupid for spending that much money. But to Pete's point, if this watch sold outside of uh, of uh, charity, I don't necessarily think it would have picked up that much money. I'm pretty sure it was one of the guys that was probably tied into the whole charity or with these people. I mean, that that's crazy amounts of money, you know, thirty one million dollars, especially for a steel watch. It's not even a precious metal. It's kind of crazy. It does have the twenty complications, which is awesome. But I mean, but you got to consider that. Look at how crazy the prices of like anything that has the wording steel Patek sells for like double its regular price. Factoring that the watch itself, weird. it's one of one. It's a piece unique. It has, I think, 20 complications in it. It's like as Patek as Patek can get, save for the fact that it's not in precious metal. Like there is a lot of writing on the wall that would lead you to believe that it could go for that much charity or not. You know, like mm-hmm. I think a lot of people would, would have probably bought into thinking that, you know, this would be. The next, the next big thing, and since everyone's already crazy about steel protects, it's like, so I have a feeling that probably played into it as to why it kept going up, you know. So the watch before this was what you said, the Paul Newman Day, Daytona. And yeah, yeah, as a wristwatch. Yeah, as a wristwatch was the Paul Newman. That was seventeen million. Seventeen million. Okay, in twenty seventeen. Yeah. Okay. But okay. but before that, it was a Patek, right? But it was like the it wasn't a wristwatch. It was like a pocket watch. I think. Yeah, there's a pocket watch that right. went for twenty something million, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. But the last wristwatch was um was the Newman. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Yeah, not for me, and I, I guess not for you guys. And it's it's a lot of money, but think about who bought it. I mean, if a billionaire bought it, that's pocket change for him. You know, thirty one million is is definitely a great investment. I guarantee this thing is gonna gonna go up in value. Um, and, and another crazy piece for me was that Tudor. I mean, I'm like, what the heck? Three hundred fifty thousand. Jeez, for a Tudor? Like, and then uh, I don't know if you guys saw that Jorn, uh, FP Jorn. Oh my goodness, that is a gorgeous, gorgeous piece. I, I love FP Jorn. If I ever had the money, I'd be one of the flex pieces I would get right there. So, mm. yeah, but the, the Jorn didn't surprise me as much purely because Jorn has a very like fervent following and it's not like the normal ones are cheap to start out with yeah like i was looking through the results and it's crazy just seeing sort of how the markup versus like a regular version of it mm-hmm. it tells you a lot about like the brand and how it's perceived you know even getting back to that tutor when you consider a regular black bay at retail is what maybe three thousand five hundred four thousand right. bucks and this went for pretty much a hundred times that Mm. That tells you a lot about the weight that it brings. And also, obviously, because Rolex didn't have a presence. So this was as close to a Rolex presence as you had it on the watch. Mm. Now, now I heard something interesting also in one of the podcasts. And they were basically saying that the reason why maybe a Rolex didn't um, join this charity is because everybody kind of knew Patek was going to be 
the watch because in every charity um, in the past, they've taken the number one spot. And Rolex does not want to be number two. So that was a lot of talk that that's why they did not join this auction because they already knew they were going to be number two. And, and they probably would, they're right, you know? I mean, this would have like completely dwarfed them, you know, to say, oh, a, a watch sold for this much money and the Rolex only sold for this much, you know? So I think I it's think- an ego thing. And also, they stood to benefit more from putting a Tudor there. I mean, at the end of the day, Rolex doesn't really need any more marketing. It kind of sells itself. So putting a Tudor there, having a multiplier like that, it's still, I think it still would, they serve more benefit with Tudor than, like you said, the risk of maybe coming in as number two. So mm. so was I, the, the Tudor the second highest price watch? That no. no. No, no, no. But no. it just had, a, it was just a very impressive showing. Okay. I think because there was an 1159 that I think went for about a million. And then I have to look at the sheet again. I know there were a couple others that went for a fair bit, but like mm. there was a big gap between what number two would have been and okay, uh, and the Patek. Mm. Yeah, it's crazy. Like Jordan sold for uh, 1.8 million Swiss francs. Yeah. It was estimated that it was going to go between 300 and 600 thousand. So it completely went above and, and, and beyond that. So, uh, but speaking of, of uh, prices, we're talking about money and everything today. What we uh, oh, that's cool. I don't know who has that watch, but that was a cool little alert <laughs> <laughs> for everybody listening at seven o'clock. Uh, maybe, maybe we should do that. Everybody listening at seven o'clock my time, West Coast California. What about you guys? Uh, it uh, is it is ten a.m. Eastern Standard Time where I'm at, Ohio. And for me, it is just is eight thirty in the evening. Uh, Indian standard time. I'm in India right now, so mm. it's nighttime for me while y'all are there. y'all are all in the morning <laughs> while we're uh, waking wow. up and cleaning off the eye So Okay, got it. Mm-hmm. Um, so next wristwatch, wristwatch check. What are you guys wearing? Right now, I got on the Timex. Uh, it's the uh, the retro '80s. It's kind of oh, uh, nice. it looks like the uh, the recent one that they just came out the, with but the, the Pac-Man. Gold, it looks like the Pac-Man, yeah, That's but it's cool. silver tone, so. So that was you with the alarm, fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. All right, all right. Fred? Yes, sir. I have got my Omega Seamaster second generation, so pre-waved out, but with the ceramic bezel. And I've got Mm. a leather strap right now. It's starting to get a little colder here, so I can finally put it back on the leather strap after so long of being on NATO's in the bracelet. Right on. Nice. How do you, you, before I do my wristwatch check, how do you uh, come back to people or haters that say that, dive watches should not be on a leather strap uh they should see this on a leather strap to start out with um because for real like i think it's very subjective because the seamaster like you know there's a reason why it fits well on james bond's wrist and why he wears it with a suit and everything it's because it has a dressier quality when you compare it to something like a submariner you know which has those like thicker more utilitarian lugs like submariner looks more like a tool watch the 300 from the beginning it looked dressier than a lot of other divers so i think it pulls it off well it's not too thick as well so like it wears it well and just gives it a different character i love it if people don't like it that's their problem you know I, <laughs> that's I their know, prerogative i know one thing i'm learning is that uh a lot of watches look good on a leather strap you know what i yeah. mean and and i wasn't really too much into that at first but like i'm learning that a lot of stuff looks great on a leather strap so yeah, yeah. there's so much there's so much two leather straps as well you know like there's different um different finishes different grains colors i think a lot of it's about getting the right strap for the right watch 
Yeah, well, for me, as far as the whole leather strap and, and dive watch, obviously, I know that a lot of people think it's full paw, right? Like, oh, you shouldn't do that. But again, you shouldn't wear a watch with a suit or you should. There's just no rules that apply to this whole watch collecting. If you like something, you do it and you do whatever you want. And to those purists that say that um, dive watch should not be on a leather strap, I would like to speak to them and say, well, do you go diving with this watch? Because clearly at the end of the day, you don't want to put a leather strap on it because it's going to get messed up with water. I get that. But are you going to take this de- this um, watch desk diving or actually diving? And, and it's just these people just have nothing better to do, to be honest with you. And I mean, we could do a whole episode about haters and this and that, and, and they like to criticize and um, it's just awful. It's just awful. But uh let me tie back. We were talking about money. We were talking about investing and, and all the money that kind of went into this charity. Today, we're actually going to discuss uh, grill You watches. didn't do your wristwatch shit. Oh, yeah, what are you wearing, uh, man? Nothing. No, I'm just kidding. You're talking about uh, faux pas. That's a faux pas right there. Well, thank you for listening, guys. You can find me on soap. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, today, I, what am I wearing? Well, I have a de- I have my I have a watch on my desk, which is the Omega Speedmaster. I just kind of forgot to put it away, so it's sitting here. But on my wrist is just the guy that I've been wearing every day, Seiko Sarb Zero Thirty Three. It's just uh, nice. crazy. I just wear nice. it all the time. Classic. Um, yeah, it's just so reliable. It's it's just it goes with everything. I can throw shorts. I can have jeans. I could dress nice. It just it goes with everything. Obviously, I would like a little, a little more expensive of a watch on my wrist, and that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. But yeah, no, for me, this this watch just doesn't get old. It doesn't get boring. I love winding it. I like taking it off and looking at the display case back. I know it's not finished to the standards of a lot of these Swiss watches, but nonetheless, it's a mechanical watch, and it's really, really cool uh, and charming to to look at. And not only that, but uh, something that I maybe this is this is just just for me but uh something that's really cool for me my four-year-old uh, he loves putting this watch on his ear and he goes tick tock tick tock tick tock and then he likes winding it and he likes a little so it's just like this warm feeling that i get like oh man this is the next generation right here like my dad never did that for me or anything else aside from talking about the bible which is nothing wrong with that and obviously that kind of it's a different different uh conversation there but yeah uh showing this passion with my son and i'm sure a lot of people listening to this can relate if you have children that you want to share the passion with your with your offspring so um but anyways i digress we were speaking about money um in today's episode we're going to be talking about grill pieces we're each gonna kind of talk about what we really want in our collection and then at the end we are gonna talk about how to attain those uh, grow pieces. What do you do? What do you save? Uh, how do you save the money? How do you get the money? So quick disclaimer for everybody listening. We are not financial planners. As far as I'm concerned, I don't know if Fred is or uh, P is, mm-hmm. but we, this is just our opinion. So don't, don't kill us for this. If uh, you follow what we are um, advising and you lose all your money, don't come back and uh, <laughs> write a nasty or a nasty comment. So, yeah, guys, I don't know. Uh, Fred, you're a guest. Do you want to start us off with the grill pieces? Fred? All right. Not, not sure what's going on with Fred there. P, you there? Yeah, I'm here. All right. Well, let's start off with you. Hopefully, uh, Fred comes okay. back on the line here. But let's yeah. start off with your grill pieces. What's, what's okay, going on? So, what do you got so, there? So we're going affordable first, right? Whatever you want, right? Whatever okay. your grill pieces are. Okay. Um, Check this out. Um, 
I'm a big Miles Davis fan. So Miles Davis wore a brightly navy town. Right. Mm-hmm. So the, there's a new Brightland Navy Timer out. It's the Automatic 41, um, a brand new take on the Navy Timer. And the cost of this is $4,310. That's not bad. Which for me, if I want it right now, I can actually get that. But, you know, uh, it's not something that's in my budget. But if I really wanted it, I would get it. I could get it. So it, it would be fair to say it, and I, I think that's I, I understand what you were uh, talking about affordable versus not affordable. Uh, right. For everybody listening, I guess before the podcast, we all connected and we said, okay, why don't we talk about kind of an attainable piece and then unobtainable piece? So two two types of grails. So that's what right. uh, he's referring to more more of an attainable right. piece. Um, that's a very right. nice watch. So is it just yeah, because it, of the artist that you wanted? Is it more of that connection or? Well, it's more than that. The the blue dial and the blue leather strap on this piece is outstanding. Um, it has the caliber Brightland 17, uh, self-wind and mechanical movement, power reserve, 38 hours, um, 28,800 vibrations per hour, June 25 calendar. It has a dial per aperture. You know what I mean? The case is uh, steel. And gold, I think, um, case back screw in. And the only thing really disappointing, it has three bars of water resistance. Oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Wow. Uh, the best hey, Fred. By... Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to ask if Fred was back. <laughs> okay. Um, Fred? The bezel is. Frester. I guess he's not back, man. I don't, to everybody listening, I don't know what, what happened to Fred. But sorry for interrupting you. Go okay. on. So, um, the bezel is bi-directional, um, and that's that's really it. But if if I wanted to do something a little cheaper, I could get a Venice Brightling, uh, the A four one three thirty for twenty seven hundred. You know what I mean? So, uh, that would be like my affordable pieces. You know what I mean? So, but, hello? Hello? Fred. Yes, Fred is back. I'm back. <laughs> Sorry about No, no yeah. worries. Uh, uh, P was, we could hear you. We could hear you. Fred was uh, actually just starting this off with uh, with his girl pieces. Not sure if you heard what he, uh, what he had to say, but, uh, I could briefly go back through it. Uh, the Brightling Navy Timer 41 um, with the caliber Brightling 17, self-winding mechanical movement. And if I wanted to go vintage, well, that piece there costs $4,310. But if I wanted to go vintage and uh, use, I would go with the Brightling Mont Brilliant A41330 uh, retailing at $2,700. So that would how be much, like. So, how much are the the vintage Navitimers versus the one that you want? Oh, it's about a two thousand dollar difference. Oh, okay. You know what so, I mean? it's, so it's pretty affordable. Then yeah. I mean, it's not nothing crazy. Yeah. Right. Now, so those are your attainable kind of grails. What about right. uh, something a little bit more? Uh, Rolex GMT Master Two Batman. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? with the oyster. 
The Batman or the Batgirl? <laughs> With the oyster. And the right. buckle. You know what I mean? It's a uh, very nice watch. Yes. 40 millimeters stainless steel. That would be like, I guess I could get, if I, uh, my wife would kill me if I did that. But <laughs> you know, I could, technically, I could really get it if I really, really wanted it, but I would have, I couldn't do it right now, but, oh, I could do it. Yes, I could, but. Um, <laughs> you drain the savings account and your, your wife wouldn't be very happy. <laughs> right. You know, so, uh, yeah, that would be like something long term. I think that I would want to get and save for. And as far as saving for it, I mean, I guess there's several ways you could go about that. Uh, you know, I really don't like doing things on credit. I I usually use credit for emergencies. You know what I mean? Um, but if I wanted to, I could, I guess. But, you know, I would actually have to save for this one. I mean, I guess saving depends on uh, the person and how much you make and how much you're willing to put away and what you're willing to sacrifice. So, yeah. you know. Very cool. I, I like your picks. Very, uh, you didn't stick to one brand. Um, spoiler alert. <laughs> that's kind of what, yeah. what I have coming, but uh, that's cool. Fred, what, what do you got? Uh, so for me, like, well, like when it comes to grail pieces, I've recently discovered that like I, I look at every watch that I want to buy as a grail piece because I want to get it and not sell it. If y'all seen my last video, I yeah. recently made that mistake <laughs> of getting a watch with the intention of selling and just losing money on it. Mm. So, like, if I had to describe, I guess, what, like, my highest, least attainable grail piece would be, for me, the least attainable, but the one I really, really want is uh, the Vacheron Constantin Overseas Dual Time. Ooh. That, for me, is just, like, it's the ultimate in, like, the most versatile watch. You know, it's got two time zones, the interchangeable straps. It looks good on it looks good on all of them. 150 meters water resistance, Geneva seal. It, it's got everything, you know. But um, at 23 grand, it's going to take me quite some time to get it. I think I will get it eventually, but it'll take me time to get up to that. Yeah. So and don't and don't Vacheron have the most uh, the watch with the most complications in the world right now? Uh, I don't know if it's the one with the most complications, but I know they did just win an award at the GPHG for, um, it was this perpetual calendar that had two different beat rates. Like you can okay. set it to, um, set it to like sort of a standby mode. Cause obviously like with a perpetual calendar setting, it is a pain in the ass if it runs out. So, um, you can actually switch it to sort of this low, low beat rate. It's something crazy. It's like, I think 4,000 vibrations or something super oh, slow. Wow. Just so that it can keep the time and keep the date and everything in check. And then when you're ready to use it and wind it up, then you can switch it up to the normal one. So That's crazy. Mm, do you know what yeah. it increases the power reserve to? If you do oh, it it's like seventy days or something like that. I have mm. to check the numbers, but it's an insane watch. I love what Vacheron does. I feel like of the big three, Vacheron, Patek and Audemars, I feel like Vacheron is the one that sort of experiments the most and sort of has the most fun because they're not really tied into an icon like uh, Patek and, and Audemars are. So because they're not number one, it means they kind of have to experiment a little bit more. And I love that about them. Like yeah. you look at their range, it's so varied, but you don't really suffer on quality either. And I like this or the underdog of the three. So that would probably be like my least attainable grail piece. Uh, getting a bit closer to reality 
lately I've been really obsessed with the um, Speedmaster Broad Arrow in rose gold and uh, stainless steel. So it's from mm. about 2007, 2008. Really, really nice. It's got like the case of the normal Moonwatch, but it's got the precious metal in there. And it's got this beautiful like chocolate sunburst dial. I think it really looks sick. And that that's a little bit more attainable. That's around sort of six or $7,000 up to about 9000 depending on quality. What kind of movement does it have in it? Does it have the manual it ones? It no, it's an automatic. It's, uh, I think Omega calls it the 3300 or something like that. I think it's loosely based on the, on the Frederick Piguet 1185, but they've put in their coaxial, the um, Omega fight it, for lack of a better term. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's not, this, it's not the 1861. It's not the manual wine. So it's also a little bit more useful. A little bit thicker because it's because uh, it's an automatic, but that's one that I've had my eye on lately. That hopefully will be maybe my next purchase. Mm. Yo, no, can so I'll still be some time until I get that. <laughs> off subject, uh, what did you think about the the latest James Bond Omega release? Uh, the um, the Seamaster, Honor Majesty's yeah. Secret Service one. Yeah, yeah. As a watch, I thought it was actually really cool. I just didn't understand why they released it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I have a theory. I have a theory, and if you'll bear with me for a second. So, sure. On Her Majesty's Secret Service was not a particularly important James Bond movie. It wasn't, like, iconic right. like Goldfinger. It wasn't... Just sort of, you know, another one in the pack. Um, it was the only one with George Lazenby, but again, he's, like, not the most known James Bond. Right. So, it seems sort of just random that they would just release a movie commemorating this. But, if you look at the production of the Bond 25, the new Bond that's coming out, No Time to Die, I think it's called. Um, I think that was supposed to come out this year, but they postponed it because of all like the production issues. I think it's coming out next year. And I feel like they just had on their roster, we have to do a Bond watch this year. And since they didn't have the new movie to make it for, they're like, all right, find something in the back catalog, find something to commemorate. <laughs> <laughs> so just we can have anything together. To capitalize on this Bond, on this Bond Association. But the watch itself, I think, is cool. I like how they did the um, the golden hands on it. The design on the back with the coat of arms, obviously, like that's a callback to what happened in the movie. Though his whole sort of cover was that he was a like a genealogist and was like you know providing background on Blofeld's um, family history. So he did his own genealogy. But um, it's got a lot of cool touches. You know, they have that. They have the little secret signature fifty when you yeah. uh, shine the loom. Uh-huh. That's something it'd be cool to see if they start incorporating that in general and there's sort of like a security feature, you know, have some sort of like maybe just the Omega symbol on the loom or something like that. Um, yeah, like as a watch on its own, I think it's really see the the 300 that it's based on is really, really good as well. But I just didn't understand the point in making a special edition commemorating a sort of relatively unknown Bond movie. Right, right. I dig that. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's a great yeah. perspective. <laughs> sounds like it sounds like you actually watched the Bond uh, film because everything yeah. you're saying right now just kind of <laughs> went over my head. I've never. I've got to confess something. I've never in my life seen a whole entire uh, James Bond film. I've seen what? bits and pieces, <clears throat> but I never actually watched the whole thing. It just doesn't. It's just never really spoken to me for whatever reason. Now we're talking Fast and the Furious. I've seen every single one of them <laughs> multiple times, wow. and that's because I'm a car guy, so I I know all about that. But, all right, uh, but which one is your favorite out of them? Oh, man. Honestly, 
the first one. It's just a classic. Just the, that's the, the first one. For. I, I the first would, one oh, never gets old. I would definitely oh, have to go with the first one for sure. It's just a yeah. classic. It's just a classic. Yeah. It introduces to the whole scene. Or, or I mean, majority of the people as a whole. I, I remember when it first came out. I mean, I was a little younger. I was like barely eighteen, kind of getting out of high school or something around there. So I was kind of looking for my first car, and a few of my friends were getting into car racing here in Southern California. So when that movie came out, it just spoke to me so much because a lot of the things that happened in the movie happened here in Southern California. So I was very familiar with, like, Long Beach, and when they went to Santa Monica, I'm like, oh, crap, I I know that place. I've driven through there. I I know exactly what they're doing. So it just, it, it spoke to me on a different level that I'm sure it speaks to a lot of people. So it was just so cool. And thanks to that, that's why I got my little first Honda CRX and started modifying it. And then the second and the third and the fourth. And I got really heavy into modifying cars because of that movie. But the funny thing about that movie um, is that when it first came out, a lot of the people in the racing scene would actually make fun of that movie and say, oh, what are you trying to be Fast and the Furious? And they (laughs) hated that movie. I don't know, Fred, I don't know if you... It sounds like you, you, you heard the same thing, but for whatever reason, um, more movies started coming out because the second one was garbage, right? With the pink S2000 or whatever. And it, it was just, it, it went the wrong direction, but that they kind of brought it back and it, it just really became something. And then unfortunately with uh, Paul Walker's, you know, passing and everything and just now and it, it, the whole world was kind of watching. And then of course now with the rock and, and uh, Statham and everything just became a completely different thing, which I don't know if I like it. You know, I think it's just, I don't know. It's just a money grab. Well, at this point they've made what, 10, nine, I don't even know. I lost count. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. It's, it's a few of them. Yeah. More than a few, <laughs> but Fred, so you're, you're talking about grails and you want to talk about how to, how to get them or do you want me to go next? And then you want to discuss the, the whole financial aspect? Um, well, when it comes to getting them, like for the most part, like I, I'm very similar to Pete. I don't really like putting stuff on credit, especially what I would classify in the nicest way of saying stupid stuff, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> stuff that I don't really need. So, like, when it comes to stuff like that, I definitely don't want to indebt myself. And because I don't look at watches as investments or anything, it's like I can't justify that in that sense. So, for me, it's usually about saving. But um, always I try and, you know, I always try and have, like, a little side hustle here and there. Any sort of additional income or residual income I can get, I'll put that towards, you know, towards covering a watch. Because then that way I know my normal day-to-day income, that covers my expenses all that. I can have any extra income to cover my fun, stupid stuff. So, that's... The main way that and also like just as I noted in my last video, focusing more on just like getting a watch just because you want it, avoiding the distractions of like scratching an itch on the way there. Because, um, you know, like the Vacheron, for example, that's a fair bit of money for me. So there's, there's going to be a lot of itches on the road to that. So I think just sort of staying disciplined and focused and making sure that, you know, you put aside whatever you can so you can build towards that big that big sort of finale because it feels great when you get a watch that you really really like like when i got my seamaster that's how i got into this but i always loved that watch because of the james bond association like for me pierce Brosnan was always my james bond so like as soon as i saw that uh seamaster on his wrist i was like that's a cool cool watch and then as i started researching and getting into it i just sort of drew closer to it so in a way like my omega was my first grail watch now i just have to get all the other ones so that's sort of, I guess, my approach to getting it, you know, is my entire idea that every watch has to be a grill watch in some way or another. 
Yeah, very good, very good. I, I like Pierce that. Bronson. Correct me if I'm wrong. But view to a, view to a kill was his first, right? Uh, his first was Goldeneye. Goldeneye. View to okay. a kill was who was view to uh, a kill? View to a kill was Roger Moore, if I'm not mistaken. That was the one with uh, Christopher Walken. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. If right. I'm if I'm right, I think so. Okay. Now, when you when you first uh, saw Pierce, uh, you were how old, Fred? If you don't mind me asking. Uh, so I saw it. I didn't see it in the cinema. I saw it on VHS. So I was been <laughs> around ninety six. I was five years old. Oh, okay. So definitely, <laughs> definitely a grill for you because you're a little kid when you kind of first yeah. saw my dad. So. And then, like you know, I just sort of grew up like watching his Bond movies. Daniel Craig was always like sort of the second Bond for me, you know. So like. The one that sort of impacted the most, like, I don't find myself craving a Planet Ocean, which has sort of become his signature Bond watch. So, so yeah, so, like, that's that sort of impacted me. And then I think from there, it's, like, always chasing that special feeling when I get a watch. So, for that, you got to wait and save, you know? Yeah, no, you, very nice watches and, and different again. So, for my picks, I mean, my, my thing is going to be very vanilla and very boring. And people are going to be, like, tears in you like, that's what you want. But this is the whole thing about watches. Any watch, whether it's something that's super popular or not popular, if it speaks to you and if it's your own grail, then that's what it is, right? And this is the, the beauty of this hobby that we all like different things. And I like Peace picks and I like Fred's picks. Now, my picks, um, let me start off with the unattainable grail, which is obviously an AP Royal Oak. I don't care what kind, as long as it's, uh, it, it could be gold, it could be white gold, it could be stainless steel. I don't, I don't care whatever the hell... Uh, it is just something about that uh royal oak just really really speaks to me i just for whatever reason um i'm not a fan of the of the all the complications right i just like that simple design so i, I do like the new one they came out with a limited edition with the second repeater and i think it's a chime uh watch i think it was like 20 pieces released that was awesome but uh i'm cool with just the the regular <laughs> royal oak and uh as far as the dial color just, i gotta go with the blue you know the blue is yeah. it just speaks to me so much but again what fred what are those retail for 20 something thousand I, I don't even know at least and yeah. other boutique exclusive if you can get on the list otherwise you're talking pre-owned crazy yeah. bananas pricing like i don't even i don't even bother keeping up with it with the ap and the tech pricing just because it's so far away from reality that's like yeah, I'm. I'm just surprised every time I hear it. You know, I think the Nautilus is something like double and a half retail or something crazy like that. No, yeah, I think so. Well, that's that's why I don't I don't follow those things. And uh, and you, if if you're listening, anybody listening to this, you feel like you don't know references, or you feel like oh, I'm I'm not really into this whole watch thing. Believe me, none of us are into this watch thing a hundred percent unless you're in the industry. And even if you're in the industry, you basically focus on maybe one brand or two brands, but. I, it's kind of hard to believe unless you're like Tim Mossel or something. So a guy that's just like an encyclopedia knows all the references, knows all the prices, knows what every watch, what complication they have. It's just too much information, you know, and especially with the prices, they go up, they go down, they vary. They, it's just, it's too much, you know, that's why, again, I don't, I don't really follow AP. I, I know that I like one of them. Uh, I would like to have them, but I have no clue what, prices they have or even the reference numbers to be honest with you unless i was like really 
looking into buying one, I would do a lot of research, but I just know the Royal Oak is awesome. The offshore looks like garbage to me, to be honest with you. It's just too big, what? too complicated. I, I don't like it. I don't mm. like it. It's just too complicated for me and too bulky. And I, it's coming from the same house. I get it. And I'm not talking about the quality build or it's more from a design uh, perspective. It's not really a Genta. It's a ripoff of the Genta because they just told some designer, hey, that was so popular for us. Do something different, you know? So that's the way I feel about that. But, um, don't hate me for it. <laughs> just... No, I don't hate for it. Like I think I definitely think I have some some nineties bias for it purely because I like the offshore more and I like the regular. I like the Aquanaut more than the more than the Nautilus. Like what? don't get me wrong, I don't want to take away <laughs> from the originals and recognize that they definitely started, but just aesthetically those do more for me. Like that being said, I wouldn't actually want an offshore. I just think it looks cool. But they are a cool looking watch, and you'd be surprised they actually. They look really bulky in pictures, but when you handle one in person, they actually fit a lot a lot more snug than you would expect them to. When you look at them, they look ginormous, but they're actually they're actually like a lot more compact than you imagine when you look in pictures. They're not small, but you know, they a lot of their bulk is uh is sort of translated into pictures, whereas when you look at it, it just looks just right. Yeah. I still don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like it's like that AP. What is it? The AP Royal Oak concept is just. It, it, I don't like. Oh, that it. one I don't understand. I don't mm-hmm. like it. I, I just don't, don't understand like it. it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so that that's my kind of unattainable piece, and then I have two more. So I have one that is kind of unattainable because it's pretty kind of expensive, and then the other one is more attainable, and I'm actually already saving towards that, so I don't know how long it's going to take me, but the more unattainable one is a Rolex Mariner. Now, this mm. is from 1983. That was my birth year. It's the reference number 16800, so this is a transitional piece, meaning uh, it has a tritium uh, loom. It has a matte dial. They did use the uh, movement, the 3035, which a lot of uh, Rolex uh, purists don't like it because they didn't stick um, purely to the Rolex of Mariner with that movement. They actually used it in other uh, watches. Uh, that's why I don't like it. But this was the first reference to actually introduce a sapphire crystal to the Submariner. So I think it's just uh, incredible. I think it's awesome. Also, the 16800 is when they made it from, uh, it went from 200 meters to 300 meters. Of course, it comes in an oyster bracelet, 40 millimeters, 20 millimeters uh, strap, and it retails between seven and nine. Um, it all depends. Obviously, they're pre-owned. But something about that watch just speaks to me the Submariner is like my all-time favorite watch uh and i know is everybody has it and it's boring and people that aren't even watch people own these watches i get it but i don't care it's like that is the watch that always does it for me and i've never in previous episodes i said i hate homage pieces so i i could very well get a ton of different watches that look like that but I'm purposely not getting it because I want this to be that watch. I don't want anything that looks like it. I want that watch. So that would be kind of my my other grill. And then the one that I'm actually saving for is the Datejust. So Rolex Datejust reference number is 16013. Again, 1983 model is kind of what I want. I want the all stainless with the black dial, fluted bezel, of course, it's a 36 millimeters, it's a little smaller. Uh, it does come with an acrylic crystal. It's okay. Uh, tritium loom and the 20 millimeter strap. And those mm. retail, what, between maybe 3000 and 4000 So, yeah, it's a lot of money, but it's not 
seven nine and it's not in the twenty thousand dollar range. Those um, are some those are some good watches. I want to call them born. Yeah, a lot of you people know? would. I mean, to to me, it's just like you know. I was, I was so I'm going to bed last night, and I'm excited about this podcast, and I'm thinking to myself, "This is so funny." I I, I just kind of pick for Rolex. I pick more of a dressy piece with the Datejust, and I pick a diver with the Submariner. In my collection with the Seikos, I have the Sarb Zero Thirty Three, which really is kind of the dressy piece, and then I have the Seiko SKX 007, which is a dive piece. I'm like, what? Then in my Buloba collection, I have two. I have my the one that my father gave me, the uh, the vintage uh, railroad approved, uh, which is more of a dressy piece. But then I have the Precisionist, which is more of a sporty piece. So with Rollies, I kind of want to do the same. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even realize that, you know. And then the cool thing about these two watches, maybe cool to me is that they both feature that 20 millimeter strap. So it's like, that's so cool because my SARB is also 20 millimeters. So I could buy a ton of different straps and play with all of them, you know? <laughs> and they've got the drilled lugs, so it's easier yes, to change them as well. Yes, they do. Um, I don't mind doing the, the other way, but yeah, that would definitely make it a lot easier just sticking something in there, just changing it super quick. Um, so as far so that's kind of my grails. And uh, I, I was... Uh, I was actually speaking to my wife. So that, for anybody out there that's married, Pete, you're married, so you yeah. understand. Fred, yeah. you're not. But when you come into a relationship or when you get married, now this is not for everybody. Everybody has different types of relationships. And, uh, you know, like my sister, for instance, uh, the way that she has her account set up with her husband, they it's very interesting. So they have one joint account where they both put money in there for all the bills. But aside from that, my sister doesn't know how much money her husband makes and vice versa. And she has her own personal account and he has his own personal account. And they basically just save all their money individually. And if my sister wants to buy a Louis Vuitton purse, she doesn't have to ask her husband. She just gets money out of her, out of her account and buys it and does whatever. And for the longest time, when I wasn't married, I thought that was super cool because I was like, yeah, well, it makes sense. I mean, if you have the better job and you work harder, you deserve it and you should put your money aside and your husband should do the same thing. I'm going to do the same thing when I get married. Well, I was completely wrong. When I got married, <laughs> my wife quickly before we got married, we started talking about like really talking about, OK, kids, how many kids or a house or what are our goals? You know, it's very important to talk about that. But one of the main issues was that because I had that mentality. I mean, it's my sister, right? I love my sister. I grew up with her. So she, it's a huge influence on me. She's older than me. So anything she did, anything she said, it kind of, I wanted to be like her. Right. So when I brought it up to my wife, she was like, you are completely wrong. That's not the way that it's going to go in a relationship because when you're in a relationship <laughs> and you come together, everything should be split and you love each other and you want to share everything. And it just, I was like, well, it has nothing to do with love. And it, but I was wrong and, and I, I gave in and we kind of combined everything and I couldn't be happier. And now I look at my sister and I think that situation is kind of weird because it makes me think that that's very selfish. And I'm like, well, why are you splitting everything? And why it, it almost seems like you guys are bachelors or like boyfriend and girlfriend. And that just doesn't make sense. But the reason well, I'm uh, giving you that. I, I have a good friend whose marriage is like that. Like she bought a car and it was her car. I'm thinking so like, wait a minute. That's y'all car, you know, and he wouldn't drive it. You know what I mean? I'm like, that's like so stupid. Like, if my wife bought a car, you can best believe I'm gonna drive it. You know what I mean? Like, it ain't. It, it, it was crazy. It's, it's still crazy though. But it's it's yeah. weird. But you know what? The it, it 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 all depends on people's personality because my sister is very independent, 
And a lot of the times when we've met with her, right? Like she, hey, you guys want to go out to dinner or you want to go out to lunch or whatever? It's like, yeah, sure. So it's my wife, my son. And she shows up and it's always her. Her husband is right. nowhere. Where's, where's your husband? Oh, he went to the gym. Oh, he stayed right. at home. So they're very much like do everything apart. Like they, right. they go to the gym separately. They go to the groceries separately, I guess. Right. I, I, it's just so weird to me. Right. And it's like, but then so you, you can also look at it like this. Like if that's what works for them. Of course. Of course. Them, you know? Of course. No, 100%. A hundred percent. And that's why they've been married for over 15, 16 years. Kudos to them, Ooh. especially in today's society. It's very Absolutely. difficult to stay married. So I, I don't believe me. I'm not clowning on my sister. At all. I'm just saying that the whole thing with the account, it just didn't. It, it was my mentality. But going into it, it just didn't. It, that's not the way that it works, you know, and I'm happy with that. But at the, in the same token, I, I do work very hard and I, I feel like I, I'm entitled, I guess, to to certain things. So when I do want. A certain thing and and in this case watch i i can very easily just say i have the money in my account i'm going to go and get it but it doesn't work that way you need kind of some kind of permission from the wife but what i was getting to is that i was speaking to her and i've been speaking to her about rolex for a long time and she always thinks it's completely overpriced it's ridiculous you can't spend that much money on a on a watch and she understands the hobby and she's really cool with me doing podcasts and youtube and only the watches that i do but when I talk numbers and anything above a thousand dollars, she thinks it's ridiculous, right? So when I was writing this down in the couch and, and she saw me, she's like, "Oh, what are you working on?" I, I showed her. I showed her. She's like, "Oh, that's cool." I'm like, "Yeah, but I, I, um, you know, I don't, I don't even know if I'm ever gonna get this, you know, because of our situation." And I know we want more things in life. We want vacations. We want a better house and this and that. And she's like, "Well, why not? You should start saving for it." And I was like, "It was that." really awesome moment for me that I was like never before was she kind of cool with it but I guess she's really starting to see how much this hobby really means to me you know because just like anything else I get into things for a little bit and I go heavy into it and then I kind of lose interest so maybe for her she was thinking in the beginning that this was one of those things that like oh Miguel's really into watches and then all of a sudden he's just gonna deviate from it and spend all this money and then move away from it but now I've been in it for three years and she sees that I'm taking it extremely serious because this is life-changing this is not just a pair of socks that I that I want this is something different you know Yo, so yeah no absolutely so that's that's life-changing for me because watches just just like you guys it, it is part of your life you basically tailor your outfit around your watches. You think about occasions. Well, what watch am I going to wear? Oh, can I wear this one? Because maybe the weather's going to be bad and this one's not water resistant. Like, as watch people, we think of things like that. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, so um, as far as how to obtain the pieces, like, in my perspective, my financial perspective, this is what I'm, this is what I'm thinking. Um, so first of all, uh, think about tailoring your budget. So manage how you spend, save, and splurge within your means. So always stay within your means because that's very, very important. You could go out there and buy a super expensive watch and be in debt and then not save towards your future, towards your retirement. Um, and, you know, you just you just need to be able to manage it. And, of course, you, you need to be able to save for this. So just like Fred said, never buy on credit because that is the mm -hmm. dumbest thing you can do. Unless you can afford it. So if you're going to buy it on credit, knowing that you have a year, 0% APR, and you can hit that mark, right, within within that year, not getting penalized for that, um, then do it. And I will probably do the same thing if I have the money in my account and I know that money is allocated towards this piece. 
I wouldn't hesitate to put it on credit because A, it's building up my credit and B, maybe uh, the cash flow situation could be a little bit better and just kind of uh, putting, even though I have the money for it, you could just do it on a monthly basis because you never know, God forbid, some emergency comes up, you could always grab from there. But that's why I kind of don't like credit, but I'll probably do credit because I think I, I'm pretty confident in that. Um, but as far as saving, yeah, you need to save every every penny. And me personally, uh, I save any birthday money, any holiday money, any little gift that, that anybody's willing to give me cash for rather than an object. I like to take that cash and, and kind of put it away. Um, but, you know, if your current situation doesn't allow for any luxury items, then you need to change that current situation. You need to change that mindset. And there's many ways of doing that. Of course, you could start a little side hustle, you know, wash cars, you can mow lawns, prostitution is always on the table. So <laughs> what I'm saying, <laughs> but no, seriously, uh, side hustle is, is, is always the way to go because if your current situation doesn't, doesn't allow for that, you want to be a multiplier, right? And also something that I started doing, I, I started cleaning out my closet. So any old books, any watches that didn't really speak to me or any little thing that I could find or get my hands on, I started selling things on eBay and I started saving that money. So that's kind of where, where I'm at uh, as far as that. But one thing that, I, that I've learned uh, as far as uh, investing, not just in, in watches, but in, in my house and in different things that I'm doing, my mindset's always been on residual income. Residual income is very important because when you have residual income, then you don't feel like it's coming out of your own pocket. It's almost like play money, right? So if you could set something, some kind of business or some kind of whatever it is into motion, then whenever that money comes in, that's the residual income. And then you save that. That sounds easier said than done because I'm not in that situation. Well, kind of. I, I do own a little business and I've had it for a while and I haven't really nurtured it as much as I would like to. But a lot of that money that came in was actually residual income. And thanks to that, we were actually able to buy uh, a big portion of our Lexus, uh, Lexus truck. So it wasn't really out of pocket. It was from that because I said it in that way, you know. So and I, I do have a lot of uh, future goals and I'm, I'm kind of proud of myself of how I set up my life just because I, I've learned about finance uh, which I'll, I'll talk about the schooling system here in the U.S. is terrible, but um, that's kind of what I have to say about that. And another thing that's bound to happen, and I know this 100%, is a recession, at least here in the U.S. So think about it. When a recession hits, the first thing to go is the luxury items, right, in any luxury space. So what you want to do is keep saving, keep saving. You know when that thing is bound to happen, that recession People are going to put their things for sale because it's either A, you get money to, to uh, put food on your table and, and put that roof over your head, or do you have this Rolex in your collection? So that's where we come in strong. And that's kind of what happened with the housing market in the early 2000s. A lot of these investors, it seemed very unfair, but it really wasn't because they were smart enough to save and have those kind of assets in in their bank or whatever. And they bought up all these homes, right? So now they're Multimillionaires, a lot of them, a lot of multimillionaires came out of the recession. So I kind of want to do the same thing, you know, in the perspective of watches. I want to save, but I want to save, but I want to buy in the right time, you know, and it's bound to happen. A recession is bound to happen. So when, I don't know, but I know it's coming. So, so that's my take. Sorry, guys. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's a cool thing. And one thing I just want to build on, like, because you mentioned saving, I didn't mention it as much, but, um, in terms of cutting out unnecessary expenses, also just even little stuff, you know, stuff like if you like go out to coffee every weekend or buy coffee every day, it's like, you know, buy a coffee maker yeah. at home. 
yeah. you'll save yourself that markups that Starbucks will have to make Absolutely. your own coffee. And that stuff adds up because it's what you do every day. Or like, you know, if you, I don't know, if you have to like take an Uber or something like that or a cab, take a bus or walk a few blocks to sort of bring that, that amount down. And that all adds up, you know, like I've always like, because I follow Formula One and there they have this thing called gram strategy where it's like if you shave, you know, a few grams here, a few grams there, it'll shave 0.2 of a second on your lap time. But over, you know, 50 or 60 laps, that could be the difference between first and second place. Yeah. So, like, I take the same approach to when it comes to saving money. If you cut out even the little stuff or, you know, be smart if you notice there's patterns that, like, your supermarket puts fruit on sale on Tuesdays or something like that. Paying attention to that stuff adds up over time. And that happens. That helps not only in saving money to buy fun stuff, but also, like you said, you know, when times are tight, your lifestyle already has a way of costing you less than it means that, you know, you're better prepared. It means when you take an economic hit, it won't hit you as hard because you're already kind of spending just enough what you need to spend. So that's definitely something that contributes a lot in terms of sort of organizing to make sure you have money to buy fun Correct. stuff like that. But yeah, I also think like, like for me personally, like the coffee thing speaks right to me because I was a guy that went to Starbucks every day, you know what I'm saying? Frappuccinos and this and that. But now I've actually just started buying some coffee from the grocery store doing it like that. But also eating out like was a oh. thing yeah. every day, yeah. you know what I'm saying? But not only that, now, you know what I'm saying? I may eat out. We may eat out like once a week, but for the most part, you know what I'm saying? We eat at home and I bring food from home to work. You know what I mean? And not only that, it's healthier. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? So, yeah, of course. Like there's so many more yeah. benefits to it, but well, oh, yeah. but yeah, little lifestyle changes like that make a big right. difference. Here's the big problem though. And I, I, I think you guys could, uh, could agree with this is self-control because as a watch person and it's unfortunate but it's it's almost like an addiction right so just like with anything else you need to have that self-control and just like fred said are you gonna wait for your grill piece or are you gonna buy something along the way just to kind of um scratch that itch and that's happened to all of us right i mean we we're saving we're saving and then we're like oh crap i, I just i just can't so you buy something in between but then you regret it because you're like, oh, did I just really do that? Like, yeah, I kind of scratched the itch, but, but you, this is you, not what I wanted. You know what's weird, though? Since what's I got the Omega from the 60s. Yeah. And then I got the Hamilton, the Venice Hamilton. I've been good. Like, I haven't been craving for anything. So now I'm at the point where, okay, I can really save for something. You know what I mean? That's like, interesting. You know, yeah. like. Like it, like now I'm like at the point like I don't have to make that impulse buy, you know what I mean? So well, like, I'll, I'm I'll good. give I'll give you an example. So for me, I I had what was it like fourteen hundred dollars saved. This is about a few uh, less than a year ago. Fourteen hundred bucks saved took a long time to get there. I mean, I I sold like four watches, three watches in my collection, birthday money. It was it was tough to to to. to be able to save that much money because along the way I would see things pop up and I was like, oh, I want that. Oh, I want that. So it was really hard. But anyways, what I was saving for was an Omega uh, Speedmaster Professional. So I know I needed between, I don't know, like 2500 bucks. I think is kind of what you could find them on the on the pre-owned market or something like that. Less than $3,000, right? Um, so I had the money. And I was like, I don't know if I could wait. So I started looking into the reduce. 
and that's how I ended up picking up my my automatic. Now, I like this watch, but it's not the professional. So, I've I'm learning to love this watch and 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 just the charm of it, and it's just so different because it is it's not the professional. It is different, and it has the tritium, and there's just so many attributes that that really make me like this watch. But at the same token, I'm like should I sell this watch and really get the professional? Cause that's what I really wanted to begin with, you know? So I'm kind of torn, but just like you, Pete, for whatever reason, when I got that um, last watch, which was the, the Q Timex, which by the way, is still for sale. Nobody's picked it up, but um, I bought into that hype. And as soon as I got it, I, I never wore it. And it just kind of, it made me realize I'm like, what the hell am I buying watches for? Like, am I just buying it just because I'm an addict and I just want to get something in the mail and just open it up and put it on? And then that's, that's, that's wrong, you know? Um, so yeah, for me personally, I think uh, I'm, I'm definitely changing and I'm, I'm able to save a little bit more. And I, I'm saying that now, maybe in the next episode, I <laughs> would have bought something, but uh, what about you, Fred? Are you, are you good with waiting and, and saving and waiting two years to get the next watch three years? Yeah, I mean, like, I've, so I've always liked stuff that's probably more expensive than I should. Um, so, like, I've, like, in general, I've been used to sort of saving up to get nice stuff. Um, but the same token, like, you know, I'm human too, I make mistakes. And also, I did have a little itch scratching incident when I bought my Tudor Black mm-hmm. Bay. Uh, I got a Black Bay Chrono when I really wanted a Speedmaster 57, which was like double the cost. So I thought, all right, the, the Black Bay Chrono, you know, it still has that sort of vintagey look. It'll probably hold its value because it's a Tudor. And, you know, I can wear that until I can save the rest and then sell it and then buy the watch I actually want. But in the end, what happened was I realized that the tour was a bit too thick. I didn't really use the chronograph because of the screw down pushers. But more than anything, I never really fell in love with it because I got it with the intention of selling it. So it's like with that, it's like not only did I buy something that wasn't what I really, really wanted, but also I sort of denied myself the ability to fall in love with that watch because it was like, you know, I didn't want to get emotionally invested in something that wasn't going to last, for lack of a better way to put it. Right. So um, so that, like, sort of showed me that, you know, it's important sometimes to resist that urge, even if you can. Even if you can buy it, you can afford it and all that. Because if you want something more, then chances are it might not be the best experience. That being said, it's still a great watch, and I learned a lot from the experience. And even, like, for example, with the thickness, I learned, okay, well, I probably don't want to watch that's that thick. And the 57 is even thicker. So now I've sort of changed my, uh, <laughs> changed my goal of what I want. But um, it showed me, you know, that sometimes you've got to hold back a little bit and hold out for the end game. And that's why I said before that now my philosophy is more like, all right, every watch I buy needs to be a grail piece. It needs to be a watch that I want to keep, I want to enjoy, just so I can sort of keep that focus and know that when I get it, it's going to be so worth the wait, you know? Yeah. By the way, uh, that video was awesome. So anybody listening, go oh, to his channel, you. check it out. That was really cool. It really spoke to me, and I was like, "Oh, that he." I, I could tell that Fred like really felt that not only emotionally but in his pocket because he, that almost felt like a mistake. Yeah, you know? I lost I lost about a thousand bucks on yeah. that. Mm. But you know, that's you live and learn. Thankfully, thankfully, going back to what I said before, at least it was at least it was a thousand bucks that I had to lose. You know, like. At the end of the day, I see, the way I look at it, when you buy a watch, that's a sunk cost. It's not an investment. So you should only buy it if you're willing to lose that money. You know, it's like when you gamble. It's like, don't go in betting your life savings. <laughs> Bet what you can afford right. to lose. That way, if you lose it, it doesn't hurt you. But if you win, it feels great. 
Yeah, I agree with that. So we're we're going up on a, on an hour here. So let's wrap it up. We're we're typically we have something Fred that uh, we just started doing. By the way, shout out to our friends over at Forty and Twenty Podcast. Yeah. They do this in their show, and I, I completely forgot to kind of give them uh, props and kudos for us implementing the other things in our in our podcast. So I don't want them to think or anybody to think that this is original to us by any kind of stretch of the imagination. So it's not that at all. But yeah, what we do here on the show, Fred, we talk about other things, other things aside from watches, anything you want to recommend to the people, any movie you watch, any food, anything, you know, so what you got anything, anything interesting you want to share with us? Oh, off the top of my head, what is another thing? Because I look at watches way too much. <laughs> like, that is the only thing. <laughs> that's that's the main. All right. Um. Actually, I I was because I'm into cars as well, and I was watching this video from um, Doug Demuro. He's a really popular yes. YouTuber for cars, mm-hmm. and uh, it was featuring the R129 SL500. So it's now two generations ago. It's like the one that still looks really boxy, 90s. It was one that was in um, the music video for Rollout by Ludacris. Yeah, and just looking at that, it made me think like, wow, you know, Mercedes used to be so like effortlessly cool. You know, they just had that presence. Now I feel like they've gotten sort of really, really sort of like just really rounded and just too golf clubby, you know, (laughs) like just looking at that, like the presence that car had and all the cars from that era, you know, like Mm -hmm. the same with the S600s. They were all just so cool and just had that commanding presence. Like, you know, it could be anyone from a president to a mob boss to a celebrity driving that car. And it just had that presence. And you don't see that in modern cars anymore. So it was really cool seeing that. So definitely I recommend anyone who's into cars, into sort of older Mercedes, definitely check out that video on the SL500 because it really shows you like what Mercedes used to be. And also like just the effortless quality on everything there. It's fucking sick. You know, a nice. time when it was just make the best car you can make. That's cool. 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 I got a couple things. Um, I actually changed the brakes on my 2013 um, Phantom. The what? No, nah, I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. No, I changed, I'm like, what? <laughs> I changed the brakes. It's Chrysler 200, but you know. I changed the brakes on my <laughs> Chrysler 200. You know what I'm saying? Changed brakes in a long time, but for what they were willing to try to get out of me to do the job. I said, I can do the job myself. You know what I mean? So I've done it. Excellent work that I did, I think. And um, I'm a big hip-hop fan, so I listen to, I don't know if y'all are familiar with uh, Gangstar. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. New York rap group, uh, mm-hmm. Rest in Peace Guru. Um, they had a new album come out uh, this week, and it, it's dope. And, you know, I'm just thinking, like, hearing Guru's voice, you know, after him passing is like so refreshing, but it's also kind of sad. You know what I mean? Like knowing that he's gone and but it was a return for me to like some real hip hop shit. So was it was it unreleased tracks or was it just like old verses just put on? No, nah, it, it was unreleased tracks. Oh, unreleased nice. Tracks nice. And verses. That's cool. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, oh, that's so, so cool. I, I was really surprised, you know, so. Oh, well, I might check. I got to check that out. Yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, for me, I've been, like I said in my, in my previous podcast, we've been getting into movies a lot. We used to be big movie people, and then we had our son, and kind of he just 
basically he, he took all the time away from us in, in, in a good sense of the, of the word. So, um, but we've been getting back into, into movies because he started school. So he's on a sleeping schedule now. So we know what time he's going to go to sleep, what time he's going to wake up. So we've been writing movies and uh, I know, I think Everett from 40 and 20 in one of his episodes uh, in his podcast, he recommended the movie yesterday. So it's about this guy basically that he gets into this accident and he wakes up and everything pretty much is the same in his life and society, whatever in the world, but nobody remembers the Beatles. So <laughs> yeah, it's kind of crazy. So he was this kind of like wannabe star with his cheesy music and he just went nowhere. He was basically quitting music. He's like, I've tried for 10 years. It's going nowhere. I'm done. Right. So he wakes up and he's in a, and his friends are, are taking him out to lunch or whatever. And they're like, uh, they gift him a guitar because it's got messed up in the, in the wreck or whatever. And they're like, play something, you know, this is, this is a new guitar, play something. So he starts singing yesterday and they're all kind of mesmerized. He's like, yeah. So, and they're like, that's beautiful. When did you write that? And they're like, what, what do you, what do you mean? When did I write that? That's not my song. That's the Beatles. And they're like, the Beatles? What are you, what are you talking about? So he starts doing his research. He goes on Google. So, I mean, the whole movie was pretty interesting. And I think the ending was very humbling because you're like, oh, man, this guy could have gone. I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but it's like he could have gone this way, but he went this other way and really just teaches how society needs to live, you know. So I, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Uh, it was a little, little slow for me. Wife liked it. To me, it was okay. But... Here's the great news. We got a babysitter today, so we're going to go check out The Joker later on. So I am super oh, excited nice. for that. That's okay, a good, cool. that's a cool. good movie. You yeah. saw it, Fred? I know P saw it. Yeah, I've seen it. It's uh, very, very good. Okay, so I'm going to go what, watch that later. What you Do you think is one of the... the, the uh, like, origin stories generally are boring, but I thought that Joker was a great origin story. You know what I mean? What did you think I think that it? I think that was good, especially in the ambiguity that... Because like read the comics, but like you know, one of the things with the Joker is like he said at one point he's like, I always like my life to have. If my life was like a test, I would want it to be multiple choice. Or right. Something like that. Like <laughs> right. he's always he's, cool. he's always like you know saying different origins for him, and like even in uh, like the Dark Knight, you know, like you remember how like he kept saying, you know, do you know how I got these scars? And he had a mm-hmm. different story for each right. time he said it. Right. right. So I like the ambiguity that the movie that the movie gave you because a lot of times you can't really tell what's actually happening you know is he just hallucinating or delusional or is it actually happening and i like how they kept that ambiguity because it just opens up so many options and it pays homage to that notion that like it's still a mystery they made an entire movie about it and still kind of you're not 100 percent sure on what his origin is you know right i don't know if i'm gonna like that then I'm, i'm the type of person that i like to know everything like um, in one of the last uh, podcasts, I talked about Us, the movie Us, and it was about this and that or whatever. But the end, there was a lot of loose ends and I'm like, they didn't explain it. And that makes me feel really uncomfortable because I'm like, I need to know what the hell. <laughs> so I hope this movie doesn't become one of those things where I'm like, that's an awesome movie, but there's just so many unanswered questions that I want to know. So I don't know. <laughs> no, I think you'll like Joker. I think you'll like Joker. But we'll talk about yeah. it in the next podcast. I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys cool. uh, know how it went. But th- that's that's it for me. I think we covered a lot of things. We're on uh, almost 70 minutes right here. So any closing uh, thoughts from any of you two? Keep um, it fresh. Keep it fresh. Keep yeah. it dope. 
keep on ticking. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's been a long time. You know, I was watching some of my old videos when I was doing that Twitter video because, like, I referenced back to, like, the original review I did of it. And I was like, I used to have so many forced watch puns in those when I was still sort of finding my stuff. <laughs> so I think I still just had that in my head. I'm like, all right, let's try out one of these ones. One of the, one of the gems that didn't make it. Keep right. on ticking. <laughs> you know, I got to give a shout out also to, um, to Fernando from, uh, what's, what's the name of his English channel? I think uh, Collecting Vintage Watches. I'm sorry if I'm uh, butchering this, but he has uh, uh, a Spanish channel as well that uh, that he does. Fred, do you know the name of it? Yeah, yeah. I've seen a couple of his videos, and especially like because I got a Spanish channel as well. And so I've looked at that as reference of like, all right, am I using the right words and all that? <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. So the English channel he has is called Collecting Vintage Watches. He actually has 9,000 uh subscribers on that so kudos to my friend um over there but yesterday in his spanish channel he actually had a live chat and i i jumped in you know did some things and he actually stopped the video he said he told his wife he's like no no no, no. go back to socal watch reviews he's like miguel thank you so much for your support everybody here he had like a ton of people he has like over thirty thousand subscribers he's like everybody here in the live chat Go check him out. He has some great videos, some great content. This YouTube space is really difficult, and he does his homework and this and that. So thanks to that, I got like two or three subscribers last night, you know, Hispanic guys. But again, people from his channel uh, went to my English channel. So I'm like, no, I also have a Spanish channel, which a lot of people don't know. But I don't put a lot of content (laughs) there. But special thanks to Fernando. He he, uh, he's awesome. And his name, his name of his Spanish channel is Todo Reloj con Fernando. So that's the Spanish one. And then the the English one was Collecting Vintage Watches. So yeah, on the Spanish one, he has 32,000 subscribers. On his English one, he has 9,000 subscribers. So thank you, my friend, if you're listening. Um, yeah, awesome. Awesome that a lot of the YouTube community helps each other out. So that's, I mean, you two know. I mean, you two have YouTube channels. So it's, it's not easy. Yeah. It's a difficult, difficult space to be in, especially in this whole niche watch thing, you know? So... Absolutely. Yeah, and especially as you're starting, you know, it's it's difficult sort of getting off the ground and pushing forward. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's the people who keep pushing and who keep improving and staying consistent. I think those are the ones that end up succeeding. At least I hope so. Otherwise, I don't know why I'm pushing in. <laughs> pushing in well, you almost had a thousand subscribers, but, um, so that's cool. Yeah, I hit 650 nice. today. So, like, it's even that, like, even that just feels crazy considering I remember I used to celebrate 65, you know, yeah. <laughs> like... Like crossing fifty was like well, nice. you know, I was I was uh, really thinking about this, and and last night when he said that, I ran to my wife. I'm like, oh look, look, I posted. I and she she's like, she had a smile on her face, and she's like, that's cool. And I'm like, well, yeah, it is cool because I know a lot of people. It, it, success is is different. It means different things to different people, right? But for me, success is like not a thousand subscribers or more. I mean, that'd be awesome, but really having your peers, such as you guys. Um, and him and Fernando and other people that have to have uh, reached out to me and say, hey, good job. I like what you're doing. That's awesome because you guys know what it's like to put a video together, not some person just kind of listening and not putting out content because to them it might seem like super easy to do this. And it's not. There's a lot of research that goes into this. It's a lot of time away from your family or from other things. So it, it's cool to get the kudos from from other people. You know, for me, that's that's 
that's a goal that that I hit and I, I would continue to to hit hopefully you know so absolutely so yeah no Fred you have an amazing channel yeah. same to you P and, and let's yes, keep sir. doing what we're doing and uh, where can the people find you Fred they can find me on Instagram at Shaluso Facebook slash Shaluso and of course YouTube slash Shaluso as well um, for the Inst- Facebook I'm not that active but Instagram you get all the pictures from my videos, all the diagrams and like infographics and all that. And then of course, YouTube in English and in Spanish every seven to 10 days, depending on how busy my week is. Awesome. And anybody, anybody that enjoys a little chest hair, my friend Fred there unbuttons just the right number of buttons on his shirt. It just just pops out. Just so you can see my bare chest. (laughs) (laughs) Pete. Oh wow! Uh, Rock wristwatch love. Uh, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Hit me up. Hit all of us up. Support the movement. Get into it. Get involved. Yeah, absolutely. And you could find me, uh, SoCal Watch Reviews on uh, YouTube and Relojando. If you are listening to this and you speak Spanish, or have anybody that's uh, non-English speaking and they speak Spanish and they wanna they wanna see a few videos. I'll probably put out more. It's only a few, but yeah, there's some information there and also SoCal Watch Reviews on Instagram. And I do post a lot of uh, pictures there. I started the Instagram with other people's images and kind of just giving them credit, but I quickly realized that I wanted to really personalize my Instagram. So now every watch that I post on there is my own. Um, yes, it's repetitive because yeah. I don't have many in my collection, but I try to take shots from different uh, angles and different backgrounds and stuff like that. So, yeah. And then I announce, you know, whenever a new podcast comes out or whatever. So we are over 400 followers on Instagram. So that's cool. So let's keep it growing. And, uh, and yeah. So thank you guys for uh, taking the time. Fred, P. Thank you Absolutely. so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. My pleasure. So, yeah. As always, my friends, stay humble.